Okay, thank you guys for coming back to listen to another episode. You can see us. You can see us. We are real, live, in living color. Um, if you're listening, then pause this, go to YouTube, type in Purple Diary Podcast, and then you can see us because this is now a video podcast. Whoop, whoop. Yay. Um, yay. I know, right? Let me introduce my guest. Justin Graves is a motivational speaker, um, an optimist, I would think. Are you an optimist? I'd say so. I accept that. Yeah. <laughs> an overall just happy, pleasant person, the best person to be around, especially if you're in a bad mood or a good mood, just a great individual. And I'm so excited because you were my first guest ever. And to have you back for episode 50, I didn't even know if I was going to make it to episode 50 at some times, <laughs> but we are here and you're here and I'm so excited. Thank you, Justin, for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And obviously, congratulations to you, Thank Big Five O. That is a huge deal. Thank <laughs> so you. Congrats on making it. That's incredible. The, the persistence, the dedication. I love it. Thank you. It's so weird. I've seen a few people who started podcasts after I started mine. I'm not saying I'm the reason they started it, but just, you know, they got inspired by someone to start one and mm -hmm. theirs don't exist anymore. And I'm like, I did it. I made it through the, I think something like at least 50%, but I feel like it's even more than that. A big chunk mm -hmm. of podcasts don't make it past seven episodes. I thought you were going to say three, like, <laughs> I was like, I feel like people love it for like the first one, of course, they have an idea, second, and then third, they're like, oh, this is too much work. I can't do it. And then they drop. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or they run all the ideas you think you have to talk about. You realize, oh, I really can't talk about that for that long. Right. That happened to right. me. I had a whole <laughs> list and I was like, oh, I can't. 30 minutes is longer than it seems. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you made it. <laughs> I know, right? Yay. And thank you to everybody who's listened for this long. Appreciate you a lot. Um, okay, so for anybody who didn't hear the first episode, can you describe yourself a little bit? What do you do for work? What do you do for fun? Absolutely. What do I do for work? What do I do for fun? My day job and my passion job is how I like to describe life, right? So my day job, which I do enjoy. I don't want to give it any shade. I do like my day job. I work for the federal government. And my primary function is that I run an awards and recognition program. So I get to give people money when they do a good job at work. <laughs> so it's actually a really sweet gig. I'm so grateful. I've got a wonderful team, um, a wonderful supervisor. Um, and I've actually worked at DHS since I was 17 years old which of course, you know, because you yes. were also an intern, just like I was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, DHS, Homeland, the Department of Homeland Security is my day job. And then my passion job is my own company, actually. So he's on wheels. I do motivational speaking. I run a blog and a pretty significant social media presence. And he's on wheels is all about disability advocacy, 
social inclusion and community engagement. So those three things are at the heart of He's on Wheels and it is truly like my lifeblood. It's what motivates me, it's what gets me out of bed in the morning is promoting those things and helping people understand that disability, all people of all disabilities and abilities should be included and that community is everything, no matter what kind of community is, whether it's based on race, ability, sexuality and gender, community is everything to me. So yeah, I, through that company, I get to travel around and speak to different groups about all, all of that. <laughs> and it's a blast. I love it. And for fun. Oh, yeah, that's right. And for fun. <laughs> Man, <laughs> so cooking is probably my biggest hobby. I spend all of my free time in my kitchen. And <laughs> I'm so grateful um, to be in a position where I have, you know, a really solid kitchen, if I do say so myself. <laughs> I have a lot of different um, cuisines that I like to make. Uh, my favorite dish probably to not even cook, but to assemble is pesto. Love a good fresh pesto, a little basil. Um, you don't have to use pine nuts, people. You can use walnuts. They're much more affordable. Same flavor in pesto. Um, and then, so yeah, cooking, I love to learn about other cultures through cooking or through food. And so that leans into traveling, love to travel. And if I'm not home, I'm probably on the road somewhere. If I'm not traveling to like a new state or a new country, then probably visiting friends because quality time is my love language. <laughs> and I love being able to connect with the people that I love. So, um, yeah, traveling is everything to me. I kind of like living out of a suitcase every so often. <laughs> yeah, you are a jet setter. You travel so, so much. I'm so jealous. <laughs> You're always somewhere. Okay, so anybody who maybe didn't listen to the first episode that you were on and or, I mean, looking, if you're even watching the video, you probably can't tell. Justin uses a wheelchair. And can you explain like your medical conditions, like why you mm -hmm. use a wheelchair? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. My wheelchair, which one of my good friends love, lovely, um, gave the lovely name Lil Chromio um, <laughs> is his name <laughs> apparently. So, you know, you can't choose your own nickname. So that's what he was given. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a paraplegic, which means I'm paralyzed from the waist down. And the reason for that is a really rare spinal inflammation called transverse myelitis. And that might sound complicated, but it's not that complicated. Uh, transverse means across and myelitis means, um, excuse me. Yeah, no, that's right. Transverse means across like width and myelitis means inflammation. So if you have osteomyelitis, that's inflammation of the bone. If you have like, you know, anything myelitis just means it's an inflammation basically. And so transverse myelitis is what I had when I was three years old and it came out of nowhere. It was a sudden onset and very sudden diagnosis because I was at my babysitter's house one day, laid down for a nap, woke up from that nap, couldn't feel my legs. It was literally in a snap. And yeah, so that whole process was really interesting. Um, kind of thankfully, I don't have that much recollection of it, but I, I think all the time about how much it impacted my family 
Um, you know, I've got two loving parents, my mom and my dad, who took such great care of me and advocated for me and also taught me how to advocate for myself um, from a very young age. And then also my brother and sister, you know, because um, it wasn't like, oh, you're paralyzed now. Have fun. It was such a long process of rehab. Um, well, getting the diagnosis in the first place took a while, then rehab. So I'm sure that had a profound impact on my two siblings. Um, so I'm, I'm often thinking about that, even in my current life of, you know, how my illness played into like how it affected my family and my loved ones and those around me. Um, but I'm grateful, though, honestly, um, I always say that I gained my disability because using a wheelchair and having paralysis definitely you know, I don't think I would have picked it out of a lineup at the time as something <laughs> that I would have loved to have happened to me. But the fact that it did, I've taken it and it's frankly, it's part of my brand. You know, it's the logo for my company um, because it really is part of who I am now. Um, and I mean that in the most positive way. Like it's the reason I'm an advocate. It's the reason that I'm so outgoing. <laughs> um, having a disability really has been something that's changed my life but not for the worse, definitely for the better. That's awesome. That's a very positive way to look at it. Um, I'm sure it takes a while to get there. So oh, yeah. okay. I want to get a working definition of ableism to use for this episode. You don't have to, you know, define it for the whole world, but just the way <laughs> that we're going to look at it for the next hour ish. Can you give us a definition of ableism? Yeah, for me, it's basically, and I, and I love the way that you said it, like just for this this space and this conversation, um, because it looks, you know, ableism can be different all the time. And in fact, what I was just about to say was a little ableist. Ableism looks different all the time. And we can unpack that later on. <laughs> um, but for me, an ableism definition would be anything, any language, any perspective, any opinion, um, just any occurrence that centers and only centers the perspectives of those who are able-bodied. Able-bodied being those that have the use of all of their limbs and senses is the way that I would define ableism. Hmm. So does ableism, is there another part of ableism, I guess, that applies to people with like mental disabilities? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, a good example of ableist language um, in this kind of situation is something that I actually still slip up and say from time to time. And I'll say it for the sake of this um, example, um, but I am actively eliminating it from my vocabulary. But it is like, oh my gosh, that was nuts, man. That was crazy. And those two terms, nuts and crazy, can be perceived as a slight to someone who might have um, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, anything, you know, on that spectrum of, you know, mental health issue. Um, and, and I'm no mental health expert by any means, um, but I have attended many sessions and I've seen a lot of uh, research around how those colloquialisms, as we'd call them, just, you know, common figures of speech don't mean any harm, but they're kind of in that area of microaggressions where you say something and it's not necessarily what you meant, but it can still be kind of harmful if you just say, oh, that's nuts. But, you know, back in the day, people 
who were nuts were, you know, cuckoo or crazy. And it was always a negative pejorative kind of term. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still working on that. I had a mm -hmm. therapist on the podcast a while back and I asked him about that. And, you know, he said he's used the term that's crazy in sessions before. And that that's just a way of speaking. I don't call people crazy, regardless of whether I know what, you know, mental illnesses they might be dealing with. But that's gonna that's gonna be a hard one for me. Yeah. Oh, eliminate. It's, I've been like aware of what I just shared for like two or three years. And I still, you know, especially because when you're saying something like that, it's in a moment where you're excited, you know, mm -hmm. and there's like things going on. You're like, oh my gosh, like, wow, that was wild. And that's actually my substitute is wild. <laughs> um, mm. So like my friends and, you know, anyone I'm texting with, I'll say, oh, that's wild instead of that's nuts or that's crazy just because it's a little less, you know, uh, opportunity for it to be taken like in a bad or maybe ableist way. Okay, good point. I get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, do you think the disabled community gets enough representation in mainstream media on television and film and even on social media? You know, not enough. No, the short answer is no. And, you know, I hate to be like overly positive, but, you know, it is increasing and it is increasing like rapidly in real time. Um, I did not personally watch a lot of the Olympics. Um, you know, as we're having this conversation, it's like maybe three or four days after the 2020 Olympics ended here in 2021. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so many ads that I saw, you know, especially Toyota was one that jumped out at me. Um, included athletes with disabilities. And a lot of them weren't even necessarily for the Paralympics. They were, you know, mainstream, as we call them, um, advertisements. And I was really struck by that in a positive way, obviously, because, you know, the old saying that, oh, I want to see someone that looks like me. We use that a lot in the Black community, but that's not anything that I would even come close to expecting as someone with a disability. My whole 30 years I've been on this earth, I can name on one hand the number of characters I've seen in a movie or a sitcom or whatever of someone using a wheelchair the same way that I do. Um, you know, there's, but even just to name a couple off the top of my head right now, um, there is a show on what was used to be like ABC Family called Switched at Birth. Um, there was <laughs> a character. <laughs> Yeah, a character, a, wheel, a wheelchair user in that show. Um, there's that one Kevin Hart movie <laughs> um, where he he's like a caregiver. I've never, I don't watch movies, so I haven't seen it, but Kevin Hart. <laughs> Me and, neither. So neither right, I remember that. Nope. <laughs> yep, yep. We're always like, you see that movie? Nope. <laughs> haven't um, seen but it. He's a care, yeah. He's a caregiver to, um, I can't remember the uh, other character's name. He's a white male. Um, but yeah, those are just two examples that come off the top of my head of characters um, who do have some kind of disability or are wheelchair users. Um, but there's also a show that I'm absolutely obsessed with, which are words you never come hear come out of my mouth because I don't watch a lot of TV. But on Netflix, it's called Atypical. Um, mm -hmm. And the show is all about a student um, who is um, neurologically atypical because he has autism. 
And so it follows his entire family. And there are some characters who are wheelchair users on that show. Um, and also while the main character is not autistic, there are several actors with autism on the show. So very inclusive in that way. And I think it's great. So it's increasing, but can definitely still increase more <laughs> for sure. If we're going to talk about, you know, media being an accurate representation of the real world. Absolutely. When I thought of it, I thought of, did you watch Glee? No, but I do remember there being a character. I remember like seeing it in like a music video or something. Right. And then, yeah, but he, what he didn't really use one. He, it was just for the show. And I'm like, huh, like, what is the point then? If, I mean, he was a good singer, but he was not like Beyonce. Like they could have found someone <laughs> who really needed a wheelchair that could mm -hmm. sing. And it, I mean, I appreciate that they were trying to represent, but I feel like in this day and age, we're getting to the point where who you are in real life does matter. And so oh, yeah. different, you know, like a lot of people who weren't black used to get away with playing black because they just looked the part and now it matters. Yep. Like if you're not black, you don't get to play us. Or I yep. think a lot of like Spanish or not Spanish, Latino people, you know, mm -hmm. on TV were actually white and that doesn't work anymore. And same yep. thing with disabled people. I feel like they should get to play themselves. Y'all should get to play yourselves. A thousand percent. And when you started saying that, even before you said the blackface part, that's exactly what I started thinking. And, you know, all of these isms that we're facing with like today in society, you know, racism, obviously, I think, you know, kind of, you know, started way back in, you know, the early 1900s. That's when, you know, black people had, were beginning to build a voice, not had, but you know, thanks to all of the amazing civil rights leaders, Black folks were beginning to build that voice. And I think now we're getting to a point where, you know, with like Me Too, for example, and women building that, well, people of all, you know, gender identities building that voice to come out against sexual harassment. I think that it's a lot of the same with, <clears throat> with other isms as well. So I think we're going to eventually get to a point where people with disabilities will hopefully have that, you know, moment of reckoning and get that shine. And there will be hopefully a push that, hey, yeah, there are enough actors out there that we can find someone who truly has a disability to play this role of a character with a disability. And I can't wait for that moment because go figure representation should be accurate. What? What a, not, what a yeah. concept. <laughs> um, all right. So I think we Anybody who listens to this, I feel like should be familiar with the idea of microaggressions. And we hear about them a lot in the context of black people. Um, but I don't think we as a whole are really aware of what ableist microaggressions look or sound like. Can you give some examples of things that people might not even know that they're doing uh, that are microaggressions? Easy. Happens to me every day. <laughs> um, so let's start with um, if you are writing an email for work or you're having a conversation in a professional setting. Oh, let me show you an example. Let me walk you through this. Mm. What if the subject can't walk? Um, one of the most glaring ableist microaggressions that you know, frustrate me kind of the most is when you're in a public place 
um, let's say there's some kind of speaker at maybe a conference and someone says, oh, I, I just hate using a microphone. Can you guys all hear me in the back? Is this, is this good? Yeah. You are now placing the responsibility on the person, maybe in the second row, who might have a hearing impairment to out themselves as having a disability just because of your alleged preference of not liking a microphone. Um, so I always encourage folks to use whatever amplification device is available, regardless of your preference. And if you don't, if your preference is that you don't like microphones, well then don't present, <laughs> you know, you shouldn't have to put the onus on an audience member to have the same experience as everyone else, just because of your preference. Um, and obviously I'm a professional speaker, so I don't understand why anyone would have an issue with a microphone anyways, but I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see some other ones. Um, gosh, these usually come to me so quickly. Um, the blind leading the blind is one that I had never thought about. I saw there a video blind people talking about it and I'm like, oh yeah, it does imply that being blind means you're stupid. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's, a, that's actually one that I haven't really like, <laughs> you know, from day to day, but you're exactly right. That's yeah. Like a pejorative. Um, and it's, it's so wild, wild, the underlying assumption of a lot of things like that, you know, where it's, you know, you're basically just saying something that's again, a colloquialism and it's maybe second nature to you, but it's not something that should just be thrown around so easily because it can be really harmful. Um, falling on deaf ears is another one um, that I hear people say a lot. Um, I think that that's, you know, obviously quite ableist to those who are um, hearing impaired or deaf. Um, and also one thing that I'm really passionate about is person first language in general. Um, so instead of saying, a um, disabled people to say a person with a disability. Um, for me personally, um, and and then let me preface this by saying a lot of these things around language and ableism are also very specific to a particular person. So you know, if someone listening to or watching this has a loved one in their life with a disability, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, am I offending them?" by saying, oh, do you wanna to run to the grocery store with me real quick? But they use a wheelchair. I'm not telling you that that means that that person is offended. I'm just saying that maybe be more conscious of it and ask them if it offends them. You know, let's communicate. Because for someone like me, no, it's not gonna offend me. With my good friends, I'll often make a joke out of it and I'll say, oh yeah, I'll roll to the grocery store with you. Um, but that's just me gently reminding them of maybe any other ableist thing that they might say. It might not be about that moment, but about any other thing that just rolls off their tongue that is, um, you know, kind of subconscious. Yeah. I did not think about that. Run to the grocery store or just how much <laughs> we, how much our language doesn't even think about people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really, really yeah. good. And it's, um, for me, it's especially with ableism, especially, you know, a lot of the research I do right now is all about ableism. And in relation to that, I strongly believe in the idea of calling someone in as opposed to calling someone out. 
because if I was just rolling around, you know, not walking, I was just rolling around, you know, hammering it over people's heads, like, don't say this, don't say that. That is not a catalyst for change. That's not a motivator for change in any way. That's just going to make people get defensive. And rightfully so. That's a very aggressive tactic. <laughs> and so instead, I prefer to call people in and say, hey, have you considered using this language instead for, you know, for all of the reasons that we just discussed? It's 100% um, it's more inclusive. And when I have a friend who's talking to me and says, you know, like, I have one really good friend. His name's also Justin. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, he'll literally text me and be like, oh, can I call you to roll through something real quick? And I, he, he wants to review something with me. He would probably just say, oh, let me walk through something with you. But he's just showing me and demonstrating with his language that he took that extra second to think about it and be thoughtful. And that makes me <clears throat> feel seen, which I'm still working on a less ableist alternative to that saying. Oh. Crazy, right? You're right, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, and, and again, in the black community, we use that term all of the time. You know, I want to feel seen. I want to feel heard. I want to feel. And, and again, it's not on its face bad because we all know what that means. We want to feel connected. We want to feel recognized. And there is no shade at wanting to feel those feelings. It's human nature. But I am always thinking about, you know, how is me saying I want to feel seen potentially, you know, negatively impacting someone who might have a vision impairment? And how might that make them feel excluded? Because frankly, I work with and interact with a lot of folks who are blind or vision impaired. Um, so yeah, I'm just always thinking about that in the back of my mind uh, and how I can come up with more you know, active, like less um, ableist alternatives to a lot of the things that we say every day, because I don't want to criticize someone and then not give them an alternative. Like that's not productive, not as productive. Right, exactly. I, another thing I was, I don't, I think the video um, with the blind people came up on my Instagram and another thing they were talking about was, please don't just ask me how I became blind. Like, I think for people with physical disabilities, people always want to know, like, what happened? Did you get in a car accident? Mm -hmm. Did, did mm -hmm. you fall off a ladder? Like, what was the situation? Not thinking mm -hmm. about how that might be really traumatic for somebody to have to recount probably almost every day, what happened to them and why they have the disability that we can see. Um, yep. So do you agree yeah. that it's insensitive to ask? hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, it's funny because uh, going back to what I said about like, it's based on individual people and their preferences. For me personally, I don't really get that offended. Um, but it, it's based on two factors for me, again, for me personally, I'm speaking with I statements here. Um, on one point, I do get annoyed if it's a complete bona fide stranger walking up to me in the grocery store. Hey, so what happened? I get that more often than you think. <laughs> and wow. no, not a hello, not a, oh, can I help you reach those bag, that bag of chips on the top shelf? Just a, you know, usually a male. <laughs> you know, hey, man, hey, what happened? Like, <laughs> <I'm excuse sorry>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with that tone and everything, like, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, that's it. <laughs> um, so a complete stranger, I think that's completely out of line. I don't know you. I don't understand or even want to understand your motive. I think that's just actually really disrespectful. It's none of your business at that point. 
Um, now on the flip side, um, if it's someone who I'm in this, in a shared environment with, let's say, you know, maybe we're, um, you know, we've been at a party and we've been hanging, we just, we did just meet, but we've been hanging out around, you know, two, three hours and, you know, we've chatted about things, we've gotten to know each other a little bit, you know, a gentle, like, frankly, you know, hey, do you mind if I ask, um, I see you're using a wheelchair, do you mind if I ask how come? Because that, frankly, is a yes or no question. Do I mind? I can tell you either yes or no, <laughs> right? It's not a what happened to you. Um, it's a do you mind if I ask, which I think is a much more fair question. And at the end of the day, I would prefer that someone ask me the question rather than stare and wonder. Um, and I've got tough skin. I get stared at all the time, day in and day out. Um, I'm very used to it. It doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> at the same time, I would rather that conversation take place and it be a learning opportunity um, for that person than for them to just stare like a rude person. <laughs> um, but again, all of that being my perspective, by and large, most of my uh, peers who also have disabilities definitely get offended because more times than not, it's due to exactly what you said, Danielle. It's a rehashing of trauma because it's it's a car accident, you know. It's a it's falling off of a ladder. It's um, I dove into um, and and I should say trigger warning here. Um, apologies, I didn't say that before. Um, and so I'll stop listening. But you know, some kind of traumatic event that led to their disability. And when you ask that question, it immediately takes you back to that place. Um, lucky for me. I was three years old when I became paralyzed. I remember very little. It wasn't a traumatic accident, but for a lot of people, it's not that way. It's maybe they were 25. And again, trigger warning um, with what I'm about to say, they dove into the shallow, you know, a sand dune in the ocean, and then they became paralyzed. And now they're two legs that they define themselves by, by being able to run and jump is taken away from them. No, don't ask me why I got paralyzed. I'm saying hypothetically as that person, you know? So, so yeah, I always recommend to folks tread cautiously, but the root of that answer is communication. Ask the question, is it okay if I ask you what happened? Because if I'm, you know, the 25 year old, you know, one who got paralyzed in the ocean, my answer is no, no, you may not ask. But someone like me who's an advocate doesn't mind talking about it. I'll usually say yes, as long as you come correct. Mm -hmm. And maybe have more of a conversation like that probably shouldn't be. Hi, I'm Danielle. Nice to meet you. Why are you using a wheelchair like that? <laughs> get get into the conversation first. Maybe. That's right. That's exactly right. So how do you? Oh, I want to get you mid mid scoop. <laughs> but how do ableism and racism intersect in your life? So racism and ableism really are <laughs> so similar in my eyes because, and then the reason I say that is that a person, if they are cited, um, they will look at you and judge you for either of those um, characteristics, the color of your skin, Oh, then they're automatically, oh, look at this Black person and draw whatever conclusions they have about Black people. Same with me sitting on top of four wheels. Look at me, see that I have a disability and draw whatever conclusions they have about the fact um, or about, about 
draw whatever conclusions they have about people with disabilities. Now, I actually kind of, to answer this question, I want to tell a little story <laughs> because, and I think I honestly might've shared the same exact story on the first interview that we did for the first, mm-hmm. pod, first episode. Um, but regardless, it's one of my favorites to illustrate this exact point. So I was in college and one summer I was a camp counselor at a camp for students with disabilities. And one of um, the students that I was closest with happened to have a vision impairment. He was blind. And one day we were going to the dining hall on the campus we were staying at and everyone was getting their lunch. And that student was with someone else who, and it's buffet style. So the student did need, you know, a good deal of assistance and accommodation to pick out what he wanted for lunch. So we all get our food. I'm on my own doing my own thing, got my food in my lap and we all get to the table around the same time. Um, And so we get to the table and another uh, person at the table, I think it was a staff member also from the camp, without asking, moves one of the chairs so that I can just roll in with my wheelchair. Um, And then, so we're all sitting down, we start having conversation, we're merry, we're eating. And then at some point, a third person, a fourth person at the table says something about the fact that I um, am am a black and that I use a wheelchair. And it wasn't anything like negative or like attacking. And, and I am pretty sure the other, the person who's saying this was black. Um, but yeah, I can't remember the exact comment, but I remember this, the, um, his, the student's name was Nathan, the student who had the um, vision impairment. Um, I remember Nathan's response clearly, even though I can't remember what the remark was. And his response was, okay, guys, that's nothing to joke about. And I was like, what, Nathan, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, Justin, I know you use a wheelchair because everyone moves when you come around. Like they start, you know, like I could tell that, you know, Danielle moved that chair for you when you got here and you just rolled in. So like, I knew you were in a wheelchair, um, even though I can't see you. But when I use your arm, you know, when you help, you know, when you give me your arm to help me guide around, your skin doesn't feel black. Your your voice doesn't sound black. Like there's no reason that we should joke about you being black. What? <laughs> what? What? I kid what you does not. black it, skin feel like? Smooth? Soft? Buttery? Let's right. But Thank you. Way. Mine does at least. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moisturized. That's crazy. I oh, kid you whoops. not. Oh my God, that's wild. (laughs) Safe space, safe space, safe space. We're learning. (laughs) Um, But no, you're exactly right. And so I unpacked that with him. I was like, well, Nathan, like, we're not joking. Like, you know, sure. I don't know what you meant by all of that, but no, I really am black. And he was so surprised. And so that student, again, we were already close. He apologized. He was like, I didn't mean anything by it. Um, But that just goes to show the way that our world concept is built. You know, no child is born being racist. No child is born being ableist. These are all social things that are built and developed and created because of other people, because of whatever, whoever painted the normal, the average, the typical, you know, for whatever reason, those things that shy away from that, people think it's important for it to be the average thing, you know? 
And at the end of the day, racism and ableism, for me, they intersect in a way that is usually, you know, they're not always at the same time. Um, because in a lot of spaces where I experience ableism, racism hasn't come into play yet. You know, it's usually something where I can't get into a restaurant because um, they might not have an elevator or I can't, um, you know, attend a certain event because there is no accessible seating. And a lot of those things take place before my race even comes into factor. But then on the flip side, the racism piece, I'm often affected by my skin color in terms of when I, you know, when I enter a room and people, you know, I experience this the most at networking events um, where people often want to, you know, naturally, I guess, cluster off into their own kind of groups and inner circles. But by and large, I'm going to automatically feel comfortable you know, going to that group full of black people, people that look like me. And, but I, I also love to interact with everyone. You know, I'm not the kind of person that's going to gravitate towards the black people and then just stay with the black people. I want to pop around get a little vibe of everything. And I feel like racism comes into play in those environments because it's like, oh no, we saw you over there interacting with those folks who are not interacting with us. So now there's some, you know, like exclusion you know, elbows out, you know, keep, keep you out of our circle kind of vibe. Um, so yeah, I don't, I can't think of a time where I've experienced them both together in a really aggressive way, but I always, always, always experience them, you know, one or the other, literally every day of my life. Um, but at the end of the day, the ableism piece is, I think the one that I experience most often. Um, and I say that with, frankly, with a lot of privilege. Um, because, you know, I was grateful to receive education. You know, I've got two parents who helped me pay my way through school. I did not pay for all of that, to be clear. You know, I got a master's degree. I got a graduate degree. And some of those things give you access um, to things that race might otherwise, you know, preclude you from or exclude you from. Um, so super grateful for that. I, I give so much um, gratitude to my parents and also just to the environment that I was born into, you know, in terms of socioeconomics, like people, I think, don't look at education as a privilege. They don't look at having two parents in the home as a privilege, which I also do. Um, and so for all of those reasons, the ableism piece, I think I have like a stronger attachment to um, because some of the race things, I feel like I've kind of like shortcutted my way around. But at the end of the day, there are two things about me that will never change. The fact that I will always need a wheelchair to get around and my skin will always be black. And people often ask me if I would change the wheelchair one. No, I would never change either, <laughs> ever. Even if I had like, you know, a magic bullet and they said, you know, oh, Justin, we could um, give you this and you could walk tomorrow. I would say, no, thank you. Because both of those, you know, my blackness and my um, disability are so much a part of who I am. Wow. That's incredible. And that sounds like a lot to deal with, to have both of those things impact your life every day because of the ignorance of other people, really. And people oh, from yeah. both of the groups are probably ignorant about the other group. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. All right. I feel cool. like we should right. acknowledge we had to take a little yeah. break. 
um, yeah. because Justin is an actual superhero, such a professional, just so great. I'm so grateful because you <laughs> paused the interview to get your medication to get an IV. So you are doing the rest <laughs> of this <laughs> with an IV in your arm. That is crazy. Oh my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not it's crazy. Okay. No, do not, <laughs> do not apologize to me. Just make a bookmark and think of the alternative and keep it rolling. I know. Okay. That's <laughs> but yeah, I am unfortunately in the hospital as we uh, do our, our interview here, but it's mm -hmm. all good. We're, we're, we're getting healthy. So that's what yeah. counts. But you look great. The lighting is wonderful. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, One more piece, um, you know, as I'm thinking about uh, the intersection of like racism and ableism is I just think back to when I was in grade school, you know, like elementary school, middle school, you know, being out on the playground and just even in the lunchroom and stuff, everything's so social, you know, and I just remember, frankly, like it was almost always the students who were black that were not friendly to me. And I, I did not process this in any way when I was a kid. It honestly probably wasn't until grad school. Um, I literally read a book called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And I read that book. And then even a couple of years after that, I started thinking about it in relation to my own life. And I was like, wow, you know, maybe this is where some of my like, you know, resentment honestly comes from because, you know, growing up, it, I was almost always closer friends with students who were Asian and students who were Caucasian. And for some reason I was like, is there something wrong with me? Like, I don't have any black friends, you know, as they say, I don't have any friends figuratively that look like me. Right. So I was like, what is wrong with me in this situation? And, you know, I, I wrestled with that for a while. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I still don't have any kind of like solution for it or really exactly know why. But in my heart, I really do feel like it was because of a lack of acceptance of my disability. Um, and that's something that even now growing up, you know, as a 30 year old adult, when I'm in a grocery store and I'm getting stares from little kids specifically, because they um, they used to be the ones that stared the most. <laughs> Unfortunately, older people apparently are also not house trained anymore. Uh, but little kids, you know, are little kids of color are often the ones who stare the most. And then also my favorite thing, though, is that kids of color are also the ones who are more likely to ask the question. Um, and, you know, be like, sir, what happened? And because I do get that, like, you might be surprised that like a kid would speak up to a complete stranger. Um, but, but usually when a child smiles at me, I smile back or when they stare at me, I smile back. Um, because I want them to have a positive experience with me as someone who is a man of color as a wheelchair user. Um, and so, yeah, that I still have some, like, I'm kind of thinking out loud here. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's like a therapy session for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, that's just something that I thought of, you know, as we're talking about ableism and racism together. Mm -hmm. It's, I would imagine it has to be so difficult to navigate both groups. I mean, being black and a woman, I feel like, and not so much having to tone down being a woman around black people, unless you're around a bunch of men, which mm -hmm. I try to never do. 
Um, I just find <laughs> right. men mostly uninteresting, <laughs> but <laughs> around not even just white women, but like women who are not black, I'm like, hmm, this, it just feels like there's a disconnect and I, I can kind of relate to feeling yeah. like there's a issue here. I'm not right. 100% all in in either group sometimes. Yeah, and it's something in the air and you can't quite put your finger on it, but mm -hmm. you know it's there. Right. Yeah. So I want to talk about dating. I know yeah. that you used to be kind of like a serial monogamist. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. curious as a 30-year-old man, as a 30-year-old black man, 30-year-old black mm -hmm. man who uses a wheelchair, how mm -hmm. What is dating like for you? And what do you think a partner, a potential partner, what qualities would they need to have to be with you? Yeah, absolutely. So dating is a mixed bag for me. That's for darn sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in 2021, of course, I feel like it's all about the apps, you know, so the Bumble, the Tinder, the Hinge. Um, and I also use like some apps that are kind of off the beaten path. Uh, one of my favorites, right now is called Field, F-E-E-L-D is how it's spelled. Um, and there's a really um, large populate, population of like polyamorous um, and also transgender folks on there. Um, and I'm not into like the poly side of things necessarily. Like that's not something, you know, that I would consider myself to be into actively. Um, but I have been um, intimate and involved with trans folks in my um, in my past. So I think like sexually, I would define myself as pansexual because I don't really, you know, have, you know, a strong preference in terms of gender identity when I'm looking for a particular or for a potential partner. Um, and for those who might not be aware, pansexual for me is defined as, you know, being attracted primarily to the person's personality um so their gender identity um their genitalia um does not matter to me for me it's more about developing some kind of connection to their person as a whole and then the romantic connection is able to follow from there if it's there um and so that's really important to me um and honestly i've got to be honest most the person that i was most recently like involved with I wouldn't call it a relationship it was probably more of a situationship <laughs> <laughs> um was a trans person and what I've found with so many of my friends who are trans um and partners is that they understand the all of the pieces that come along with being othered in society the same way that I do as a person with a disability so when it comes to dating someone else who understands being othered when you don't have to explain yourself as much, it kind of reminds me of what people say about being Black and dating another person who is also Black, because there's so much less that you have to explain to that person. I've never had that luxury. I've actually never dated a person, male, female, trans, um, any mm -hmm. other identity that is just 100% Black. Yeah. Is that kind of wild? Not crazy. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's very wild. Yeah. I'm and um, by that. for what do you say? I said, I'm shocked by that. Yeah. And it's, and it's not, you know, an attraction thing. Although again, since we're, we're friends here and it's a safe space growing up, 
going back to what I said about feeling other, you know, by the black, other black kids, that definitely kind of developed um, my sense of attraction and who I was attracted to at that time. Um, and I dated um, one girl who was half black, half white. Um, but when it comes to race, it's actually never been something that I've strongly considered in terms of my sense of attraction. Um, even from a young age, it was like, I think I was attracted to girls only at that time because society, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the norm that you are taught. But now that I'm older, um, gosh, yeah, attraction when it comes to race, I, I ranges at everywhere, Asian, Caucasian, you know, African-American, African period, <laughs> you know, <laughs> truly, truly any um, race or ethnicity. But at the end of the day, attraction for me is so much more about what's inside than what's on the outside. Like, that's probably the ultimate statement. And then when it comes to, you know, what I would look for in a partner, number one is consistency. That is what I actively seek in a partner is someone who is just reliable, consistent, and, you know, says, does what they say they're going to do. Um, because I actually, I know that I'm guilty of having very high expectations <laughs> um, <laughs> of myself and of other people. And the closer I get to someone, the higher my expectations get. Um, and that, I've had to come to terms with that, especially as I get older, because like you said, I've kind of been a serial monogamist. <laughs> um, and I also believe in the idea of keeping it private until it's permanent. So I'm not very public about like, you know, any situationships that I might have. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, all of my relationships, like since I was in like 25 or 26, um, when they ended, it was in some way due to a lack of consistency. Um, and then also lack of communication. So that's kind of a backdoor answer to the question too of what's important to me. Open communication is so important. Um, as you can tell, I'm, I'm, I'm a speaker, I'm a communicator, and that is so required for me because I, I wanna, I'm an emotional person too. And I like to deal with emotions. I, no one would ever accuse me of being like emotionally shut off or emotionally unavailable um, because I love, I love connection and, you, and to have connection, you need emotion and communication, you know? So yeah, consistency, communication, those would probably be the two biggest things for me. Yeah, that's great. And it's good you what know your what you need. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of um, made me like a cheat because, you know, you're already engaged and everything, which congratulations again, by the thank way. Thank you. <laughs> well, don't look at my nails. I need to get them done. But <laughs> um, when we first started dating, I asked Desmond, my fiance, what are your things? Like, what things do you need? And I was like, well, let me tell you mine first. Um, I really... Um, I need a simulation. I need to do new things. I don't want to be the couple that's like going to the same restaurants, going to the same vacation spots every year. Like mm -hmm. we need to do new things and we can have our favorite places. I'm not saying we can never repeat a restaurant ever or something like right. that, but I right. want to do new things and I need you to find them <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I'll help find them too, but like we just went to Miami we had so many new things that we got to do 
And I incredible, by the way. Yeah, it was so fun. And it just meant even more that like he planned them and he knew what I would want to do. And what he would want to do. I assume he enjoyed them, but <laughs> it was it was really nice. Um, I really need open communication as well. That's a big thing to me. And I think good communication is different for every couple. Um, if you know, you start dating a new person, what was good communication in your last relationship will be completely different for this one and just figuring out how we do it but definitely voicing like i really don't like that or i really do i words of affirmation and quality time are my love languages and i like compliments and i want to hear when you really like something so that i can keep doing it um or when you don't so that i can stop and the last thing was just understanding like leaning in and now that we're about to get married i think for me, that really means just remembering we're on the same side, like the arguments have to be from the place of we both want the same thing. We have different ideas about how to achieve that thing, but we're not butting heads. We are trying to work together towards the solution versus feeling like it's his side and my side. We're on the same side and our team is trying to figure out how to get the solution that we want. One team, one dream, I always like to say. <laughs> I stole that from somebody. I'm not sure, but credit to that person. But one team, one dream. Right. <laughs> I, I love like that. that. And <laughs> yeah, those are probably my biggest things. That's what I said at the beginning. I assume they'll probably change, especially years from now when we have children. Sure. But those are yeah. my biggest ones for now. Okay. Couple more. We're almost done. Uh, what are three things that people can do right now to combat ableism? When they turn this off, what can they start doing immediately? My favorite recommendation is to go to Instagram and follow accounts that talk about disability and ableism. One of my favorites is Diversibility on Instagram. Um, and gosh, I've got to be also honest, I haven't been on Instagram much in the past like four or five months um you so, haven't you've been so quiet i've been so quiet yeah <laughs> like i pop in i'll post like a quick story or repost a couple stories and then i'll pop right back out <laughs> <laughs> hopefully nobody saw me um <laughs> but yeah diversibility is great disability insight is um another good one um the instagram for AAPD. I do not know their actual handle, but um, if their website, I believe, is aapd.org. It is the Association for Americans of People with Disabilities. Um, they run a great Instagram, and they actually repost a lot of the content from places like Disability Insight, Diversability, things like that. Um, so having it in your feed, um, if you are an Instagram user, and just being open to it and introduced to it, and you know, they'll post a lot of things like, you know, today's ableist microaggression, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So having that just top of your mind, because you're already scrolling your feed, you know, you are, <laughs> you know, that is definitely a, a helpful way to kind of get your brain thinking about um, anti-ableism. Um, second, I would recommend, uh, honestly, if you're into books, um, even if you're not into books, audiobooks are great. 
Um, but Alice Wong just put out a really, really good book called Disability Visibility. So it is a book of narratives of people with disabilities. And so just to give you some awareness and, and, and whether you have a disability or if you're able-bodied, I think it's a great read to give folks more awareness around the issues that come up for people with disabilities. Um, and then number three, I would say just communicate. If you have someone, a loved one in your life with a disability, reach out to them and then in turn, listen to them. Um, because that's one of my biggest personal frustrations is, you know, I've got, I've got an amazing tribe, you know, like I love my friends, my family, I've got an, an amazing network around me. And oftentimes, I think my friends, uh, especially my friends, think of it as like a joke or a term of endearment when they're like, oh my gosh, Justin, like I completely forget that you use a wheelchair. And on the surface, you know, that's like, that's kind of, it's in a way it's flattering a little bit because that means that you, I am behaving in a way that's encouraging you to look past my disability. At the same time, my disability is a really big part of me. And so if you are, you know, forgetting that I use a wheelchair, then that also might mean that you are forgetting that the restaurant we go to tonight needs to have an elevator, <laughs> right. you know, and that's so crucially important to me having a positive experience. Um, so, and then I'll finish this answer by just a quick anecdote. I think my heart gets like most warm, uh, especially with relation to my friends um, when we're going somewhere and they've already, what I call, I call it casing the place. So they've already called ahead and said, hey, I see our reservations on the third floor. Do you guys have an elevator? Are your uh, restrooms accessible? And it might be surprising to hear that a friend, like not a girlfriend, not a boyfriend, not a significant other, not a parent, not a sibling, like a friend would do that. And several of my friends over the years have done that. And it just makes me so happy because that's my everyday. That is what I do every single time I think about getting up and going somewhere. And to have that responsibility taken off of my shoulders, like I'm getting a little emotional now just thinking about it. Like it's a little thing, but it goes such a long way. So, so you know, if you're listening to this or watching this and you have someone in your life with a disability, like next time you're planning something with them or for them, do that. Like say, hey, I was wondering if you wanted to go to this restaurant, I know you love this food. Oh, and by the way, I called ahead and I know they've got an accessible restroom. So you don't have to worry about it, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, it's just, it makes me so, so happy because that that extra piece of being that thoughtful, it's, it's rare, <laughs> frankly, it's rare. So yeah, that's, those are probably my top three. That's awesome. Just when you, you mentioned your friend saying that they, forgot that you use a wheelchair. To me, that sounds a lot like I had a coworker once when I was at JMU, which is in a very, very white area. And <laughs> <laughs> I was the only, I was working at a restaurant. I was a server. I was the only black person who was a server. And one of my coworkers was like, you know, you're, you're basically white. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a compliment. No, I am not. 
<laughs> and he was like, well, no, you're taking it the wrong way. I just meant like, you're not a stereotype. And I'm like, you could have kept that thought to yourself. You could have said that when Stop I talking. Left. Stop talking, sir. <laughs> right. But saying that you don't notice my blackness just because you find me to be a pleasant person to be around is it's wild and that is what I call a macro aggression <laughs> you know as a per I don't know if that's a real term but as a person like a micro small aggression, that is a macro aggression that is right. wild yeah and everybody because we were it was a bar like we were all sitting at the bar and everybody was like no no no, you're just taking it the wrong way and I'm like no I'm not <laughs> I'm black and you can just say that you like me and not that you think I'm not black because you find me pleasant to be around that is crazy mm -hmm. <sighs> moving on. people wow. wow yeah moving on yikes um so the book <laughs> recommendation that you gave is that your one or do you want to give more Ooh. um Let's see. I would like to give some more. <laughs> okay. Um, another one that's top of mind is uh, Blind Spot. Cannot remember the author, but it's called Blind Spot The Hidden Biases of Good People. Um, it's got a green cover on it. Great book um, that has really given me some tools to give people a lot of a lot more grace and patience as I continue doing the work I do on ableism. Um, so it's basically just talking about, you know, kind of like our innate ingrained mental, you know, like psychological blind spots that we have. Um, yeah. That's a really good one, especially for anyone who's listening to this that might be doing work in um, at, on any kind of ism, you know, racism, sexism, ableism, list goes on. And I would also recommend and, and, and I'll be frank, I'm going to not really sell this that well, <laughs> um, but it's an incredible book. It's called A Disability History of the United States. Um, mm -hmm. Again, can't remember the author, but this book is part of a greater collection of books that is a blank history of the United States. Mm -hmm. I've also read an Indigenous people's history, and I've also read a Black woman's history. Um, I've read a disability history and I'm actually next um, going to work on a queer history of the United States. Um, so they're all part of that same series. Um, I think they were kind of written for like, uh, like introductory, like college level course on each of those topics. But um, so it's not like super textbooky, but it does give you a lot of context and a lot of background to the plights and the development of all of those individual groups through the lens of the United States of America. Um, so especially a black woman's history, oh my goodness, like gotta recommend that one. That one's probably been my favorite so far. Like even, I know we've talked about like ableism and disability a lot, but mm -hmm. a black woman's history has probably been my favorite out of that group. Um, and then the last recommendation I'll give is for one that I haven't finished yet, but I'm almost there. It's called Together, um, Loneliness, and the subtitle is like Loneliness in a something, something world. Um, but the author of that book is Vivek Murthy. And he is the current Surgeon General of the United States, uh, was previously Surgeon General under President Obama as well. 
Um, and the book actually came out during uh, the current pandemic that we're in. So it's really interesting, you know, in terms of Zoom and being connected, I'm using air quotes right now, connected through Zoom um, and just, you know, how lonely a lot of people feel right now. Um, so I think that book is also a really good one. And let me finish my book recommendations by saying, I have not read any of these. I listened to all of them. <laughs> um, audiobooks <laughs> are my preference for sure. Um, I don't just, I just don't have the attention span to read. I, I get sleepy and bored and, but I do love <laughs> a good audiobook. And then I'll buy the book and I'll follow along, you know, and take mm -hmm. notes on interesting things, but I don't always like flip through the pages, but yeah, yeah audio team audio book all the way. <laughs> yeah, that's a valid way to consume your books. I feel like it gets yeah. more people into books. And so that's cool. I'm not a physical book person who like shits on audiobook people. Right. Like those are still real books. <laughs> um, they're not for me though. Like I sure. listening to I'm a podcast listener and I will like zone out, fall asleep. And I'm the opposite, like how you are with physical books, like you zone out or like can't pay attention. That's how I am with listening to anything. <laughs> so, okay. I tried to go back and listen to our first conversation, episode two of the podcast, um, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it because I was like, oh my God, I sound terrible. My interview skills are probably so trash. I won't, I couldn't <laughs> do it. So... I wanted to go back and listen to what you're, ah, I don't want to hear it. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, That's hilarious. I, I didn't get to hear, well, I didn't get to listen back and be reminded of what your dream for your life's work was back then, almost two years ago. So do you have a new dream, if you even remember the first one? You know, that's embarrassing that I listened to our episode again this morning, just, you know, to remember <laughs> what we talked about and I forgot my answer still. <laughs> um, so I'll just say whether old new, I don't know, but my current dream for my life's work, frankly, is to leave a legacy. Um, one of my favorite quotes um, is from Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical Hamilton. And towards the end, when just when Alexander Hamilton's about to die, Lynn or Alexander says, legacy, legacy, what is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you may never get to see. And I just think that, um, you know, especially, you know, we didn't get too much into like health stuff um, in today's conversation, but um, like you mentioned, I am in the hospital. Um, so, you know, my health and frankly, mortality, I'm not like, I'm not dying. <laughs> let me, let me <laughs> say that. Um, but of course, you know, you're, you have health issues that pop up. We all do. And it just makes you think maybe a little bit more of mortality than you would otherwise. And how important life and living life is when you're while and when you're able. And so I've always been very focused on leaving a positive legacy, um, if I'm ever not around, I want someone to look back and be like, yeah, that Justin Graves kid, like he did some impactful, positive things. Um, and those things, I'm using air quotes, I want to be in the area of disability advocacy and, you know, being a name, 
you know, that 50 years from now, when they're thinking about, you know, how much progress has been made since the ADA, when it was signed in 1990, um, you know, I want it to be like, oh, yeah, and then Justin Graves came along and, you know, did this thing or helped pass this thing. Um, I want to just leave a really solid legacy, given the cards that I'm dealt, you know, like, I truly think that I was in a way chosen to live my life in a wheelchair. Um, I'm grateful for the mental um, health and the stamina with which I'm able to do it. And I want to be able to use that um, to be, you know, in hindsight, look back and be able to say, yeah, I use my situation and my platform in a positive way. And then therefore the people that have come after me are also positively affected by that legacy. So, so yeah, that really is my dream, you know, through he's on wheels, um, you know, through meeting one new person every day, um, and that goal of mine, um, through even the work that I do with my day job, like I want to leave a positive legacy, regardless of whether or not I personally, you know, get to, um, gain anything from it. Uh, but the gain for me is really just leaving that behind and being happy with what I've done. Well, that's an incredible dream, one that you're already accomplishing, um, which is so interesting. So many times that people share what their dream is, and I'm like, wow, you're really doing it. Like, if you died a year from, not you specifically, but like, if if you died a year from now, people would say that you were doing that. So, good job. <laughs> and, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well... Oh my God, we did it. Thank you so much, Justin, for Episode coming back. 50. I know. I'm doing 50 more and then I'm stopping. <laughs> but, but. That's, that's totally fair. It's such a big undertaking. I'm and I'm let me say, Danielle, on the public flipping record, I am so proud. Like I, I don't feel like a proud parent or anything because I'm not your papa. But it's just like, you know, obviously I don't know how many people that are listening to this may or may not know this, but Danielle and I met because of an internship where she interned. I was also an intern at that same place at one point. And then I worked there and Danielle, I'm using air quotes, quote, worked for me. She didn't work for me. She did her own thing. Um, but Danielle, you know, having, we obviously met when we were much younger than we are now. Um, and I remember when you said, oh, I'm thinking about starting a podcast, you know, everyone says that everyone says that, <laughs> like everybody's like, I'm gonna start a podcast. And you not only did it, <laughs> but you made it all the way to 50 episodes and I know you're going to make it all the way to hundred. And that is, that is along with living your life and working full time, you know, and everything else that you have going on in your life. Like that is just a bad ass beat. So congratulations. I'm so proud and I'm so honored. Um, and then one last thing, I, I feel like I'm, this is a big outro, but I just got to say it. When Danielle <laughs> texted me, guys, to be on this episode, I was low-key in the line for customs coming back from Can a vacation in Cancun, Mexico. Um, and I glanced at my watch. I saw the text. I immediately dug my phone out of the bottom of my bag and said, yes, absolutely, whenever, I don't care, like, book it, like, we'll figure <laughs> out the date, like, I don't care what you want to talk about, I'm there, because I would do anything to support this woman, so, Danielle, so proud of you, and just truly, congratulations, and good, like, I'm just so proud of you for consistency, 
that you have and for following up on doing what you said you were going to do. Like that is just bomb. So love it. Thank you so much. I, yeah, that, that means a lot. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully I can get through 50 more. I'm excited to see if people like the video thing. If people don't watch, then I'm not doing it for that long, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it'll fair. be a lot, but <laughs> I love watching like long form video and I think that's becoming more popular. So I'm excited to see what yeah. the next 50 episodes does. Um, and I'm so grateful to you for being the very first person that was on the podcast to be here for number 50. Maybe you'll be back for number 100. I was about to say, I'm not, no pressure, <laughs> no pressure. If you find somebody cooler, like maybe we get Beyonce in the room. I don't know. Okay. But if you need somebody, as you know, I will move everything to make myself available for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I mean, I guess this will be a video. So people should like, like and subscribe that's so i don't want to be that person that's but right. yeah like do it, all I'll, that i'll be i'll do it for you everybody make sure you like <laughs> and subscribe please comment down below if you guys want to see more of this content why am i <laughs> like why do i know that yes um oh and i did watch some youtube videos yesterday turn on the notification bell so that mm -hmm. you get a notification every time we upload a new video exactly and go follow justin on instagram at he's on wheels um, he's on hiatus right now, but be there so you can catch his great return. I'll be back um, soon. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much, Justin. And I'll talk to y'all in a couple weeks. Bye.